yo, yo, tell me what you know. Welcome to Sunshine Show. Woo! You guys, I have the most amazing guest for you this evening, this afternoon, this morning, wherever in the world you may roam. I have the one and only, the most amazing, the most phenomenal, the most fabulous, the most Bowie. Actually, let me take that back. The most Billy of them all. I have the one and only Billy Sheehan in the house. Oh my God. I'll try to live up to that intro. I don't know if I can. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that you can, Billy. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Third time's a charm. We had a great time last time. I'm glad to do it again. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. What's up, everybody? Thank you guys for joining us. We got Don McDaniel, Paul Targ, Gabriel Walker from YouTube. We got Le Leaf Arrow. Thank you guys all for hanging out. If you got if you guys have any questions, suggestions, comments, drop them down there in the chat. Let's get this party started. So, Billy, for the very few people that may not know who you are, please give us a brief introduction. Well, I'm a bass player. I've been playing for about a thousand years. And uh, I started in Buffalo, New York with my band Talus. Uh, joined David Roth in 85. Left that, started Mr. Big. Uh, that continues on to this day to some degree, along with the Winery Dogs and Sons of Apollo. Play a lot with Steve Vai on the side as well. And uh, another band called Niacin with Dennis Chambers on drums. And uh, just have, have been very, very lucky to have a, a great run of, uh, oh, probably over 5,000 gigs. I don't know how many records I've made, and but I've been doing it for over 50 years, and uh, I'm still learning. And I'm down here in my studio practicing every day. <laughs> Do you really practice every day, Billy? Every day. Yeah, every day. There's new things. I get my, my iPhone and I prop it up against uh, something and I I, I uh, select a selfie video. And with my bass, I play into my iPhone my new idea for a song or a lick or a riff or something or some new way of approaching the fretboard that I hadn't been doing before. I've got like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those videos. So it's all it's always a constant uh, attempt to improve and expand and uh, know more about what's going on. And it's a blast. I love it. Every day I do it. Um, awesome. Sorry, I had the wrong um, intro. I had the wrong heading on there. Party with Party Nine Vibes was a couple of weeks ago. Thank you, Michael, for that. Noticing that we're actually uh, partying with Billy Sheehan tonight. All right, guys, let's check out the chat really quick. Uh, Gabriel says, "Hey, Billy, I am a huge fan of yours. I'm also a bass player." Right. We got Forsyth Imaging in the house. We got Omar all the way from Mexico. He says, "Bass or die, Billy." Hola, Omar. <laughs> I was awesome. in Mexico recently to do some uh, master classes and uh, a little jam. And we had a wonderful, wonderful time. Great, great, uh, great people. I love it down there. What um, is your favorite part about Mexico? Well, the people are incredibly sweet, kind, and giving. The food is amazing. And uh, there's just a vibe to Mexico that's like no place else. You know, it's a, and there's so many varied parts of Mexico. People think 
when, when mostly Americans were at fault this, when we see a country, we think they're, it's all kind of this unified one thing, whereas many different aspects to it. Many, you know, on the coasts and the mountains, there's all different cultures, different uh, 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 dialects, different foods. Uh, so it's, it's quite an amazing place and it would take a tourist quite a long time to really cover uh, in, in any uh, extensive way, I believe. But it's a great place and I always have a good time there. Very nice. Do you have a favorite show that you've played in Mexico? I played down there with Steve Vai in the early 2000s. And we had a great uh, lineup together with Tony McAlpine was in the band. Me, Steve, uh, Tony McAlpine. Uh, and uh, we, we, we had some really cool shows. We did some down there and they were, they were a blast. The people were wonderful to us. Very nice. Hello, Bass Bandicoot. Thank you for joining. Hi. How you doing? Hi. Uh, can you guys hear me okay? Very, very okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Good. Hi. Nice to see you guys. I got myself a drink. Good uh, for you. Sup, Billy. Sup, Sonny. So good to see you guys. We are happy to have you here with us. All right. Gabriel Walker says, hey, Billy, you're one of my biggest influences. And so I got a question. Do you like the bass play, the bass player, John Mung, because he's also a bass player I've been getting into? I'm not really, uh, he's a fine, really wonderful player. I met him once or twice. Uh, I think we did a cover story for some bass magazine in Japan years and years ago, back in the 90s. And, uh, but I, since I'm older, I was into the original uh, Prague music. Genesis, King Crimson, yes. Uh, all the, well, the first bands that came out in the late 60s, early 70s. So the later Prague, I don't know much about, and I haven't listened to much of it. But uh, it's intriguing and interesting, and he's a wonderful guy. Every time I've met him, we had an enjoyable uh, chat. But I don't, I don't know. I apologize. I don't know that much about his playing, but I, I know he has a, millions of fans, so he must be a great player. <laughs> yeah. If he has millions of fans, you must have billions of fans. Uh -huh. I've got dozens of fans. Swooning over here. I have been really excited since last week when we spoke and I booked this. I haven't been able to sleep much. So excuse the bags under my eyes. Well, I see one gentleman mentioned Brand X. Uh, Percy Jones was their bass player. I saw them at a little club that we used to play every Tuesday, Talos Tuesdays at the Barrelhead in West Seneca, New York. And Brand X played there. But Phil Collins was the drummer on their on their record, uh, but uh, Kenwood Denard ended up being their substitute drummer because Phil couldn't tour with him. Later on with Nias, and I ended up having Kenwood Denard play on a couple on a track with me and Chick Corea and Nias. Whoa, whoa! It's a tangled web we weave. <laughs> that is so cool. I love the Chick Corea name drop. Um, one other question we have here. Uh, is any pre-show rituals? Not really. I, I warm up a lot. Usually a tour bus gets in. I get off around uh, noon, go in. Uh, uh, my my uh, crew guy, Jeff, sets up a little spot for me and a little practice amp, a black coffee. And I sit there and I start hitting it, hitting it, hitting it, hitting it for hours. And uh, people, it's, it amazes me when people go on tour and they're off, you know, checking out the town and shopping and other things. No, I am focused on one thing only is what's going to happen about 8 p.m. that night on, on stage. So I uh, warm up uh, a lot there. Uh, 
take a break around three for sound check, go back, work some more. And then as soon as the opening act starts, that's when I know I got about 40 minutes. So I get dressed, get ready. I might have a little sip of beer, not wine, it's too much. <laughs> yep, and definitely a, a, a sip of black coffee. On stage about halfway through or three quarters of the way through the show, I'll, I'll, have, a, I'll have a beer. Uh, on stage, but by then I'm not dripping wet with sweat, and you could, yeah. I could probably chug turpentine. I wouldn't feel it because. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! The visuals, Billy. The the visuals. So I've got to ask you about how how does one become so fabulous as yourself? Because I watch these videos videos of you on stage. You have the best fashion. I mean, your hair is always so glorious and beautiful. You were, you wear like leather pants. I mean, where do you get all the fashion, all the fabulous? Well, I, I started in the early '70s, and the glam era was upon us pretty quickly. So I have—I don't know if you can see them. Well, they're not—they're out of camera. But I had uh, six-inch heel, four-inch platform, dressed in a uh, lurex and. Uh, all kinds of crazy sparkly. Uh, uh, it was the Bowie era, and we 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 and I had uh, the high boots way before Kiss even existed. They came out later. I post a photo of it now to go get your Kiss boots on. Like they 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 didn't even start their first rehearsal until three years later. So <laughs> we were in. I got I got the idea from Overend Watts, who was the bass player for Mata Hoople, and he came out on stage with these high boots. I said, I gotta have them. So we. Uh, now I, I I like to dress uh, like an adult, in other words, <laughs> not necessarily uh, cut off sleeves, cut off a t-shirt, and cut off jeans and sneakers and a backwards baseball hat, uh, which is seems to be the uniform of of ninety percent of the world today. So you know I always wear at least a collar and you know something nice on stage because I uh, for me the stage is a special place. If you're going somewhere, you don't wear your nece necessarily wear your everyday clothes. Uh, you dress up a little bit. So for me, the stage has always been special. So I've always dressed up a little bit. But as far as fabulosity goes, I, I don't know if I have, have much of that. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm telling you that you do, Billy. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that is funny. We have a question for me. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say fabulosity sounds like it could be the name of one of Billy's bands for sure. You know, I'm going <laughs> to write that down. Yes, do that, do that. Um, okay, Eddie, all the way from Colorado. He is an amazing uh, illustrator. He asks if, um, what question should I ask you about your flow if I was to illustrate you? Me? Yep. And my flow? Your flow. So your flow is like, when he illustrated me, he asked me, like, what are your passions? What, you know, and I'm like, my, my dog, you know. A, a, a good, a nicely challenging question requiring me to make a tangible out of an abstract. So I, I think I can do that. I'm uh, uh, always uh, reaching for better and more. And I also hold myself to a supremely high and critical standard, so much so that I am no YouTube commenter and their horrible, evil death threats they send me could ever top my own personal uh, uh, self-criticism uh, and make sure that I, I'm 
righteous and doing it right and being right and doing the right thing and uh, things of that nature. So uh, I guess that's that's the flow you would get out of me is that it's a supremely uh, self-conscious, not in the negative sense, but self-conscious in the fact that I'm, I monitor what I do and how I am and always try to strive for something higher. Wow. Billy, the coolest thing I've ever heard. Randy, you're glitchy again. Your audio is oh. going in and out. Uh, Billy, who's sending you death threats? Because you know what? You need to send them my way. I will take care of them for you. Right on, right on. I will. I'm forwarding all of you from now on. Yeah, thank you. I will be your personal. <laughs> Do you need a personal bodyguard? Because I got you. I think you'd be make a, perf a perfect bodyguard. Oh, someone, yeah. someone wrote flowage. I see that. That's very good. <laughs> yes, I do love cats. I, uh, Rebel is not here right now. He's 18 pounds of kitty cat now. Whoa. Cat. 18 pounds? Wow. Very he's cool. A, he's the sweetest little guy, too. When All I right. first got him, he wouldn't let me brush him. He would just bite at the brush. You know, he just thought I was fine. <laughs> so now he gets to know, how, oh, it feels good. So now I... The look on his face when I brush him is one of complete trance. He absolutely loves being brushed. So that's his newest trick. Oh, all right. Next question. So for the Billy Master, a Bass Master Billy, when are you coming uh, to Austin, Texas? And are you going to be playing on tour anytime soon? Uh, bands don't choose where they play. That's why it's always a difficult thing. Uh, we only go where they book us. So as soon as any city venue club promoter in Texas books, whatever band I'm in, then I will go. Uh, people, the, the uh, image that you might get from the movies is the band sits around in the living room watching TV and one of them jumps up and goes, hey, let's, let's go play Denver. Good idea. Come on. And they go, no, you need about a 90 day advance notice. Uh, uh, so much in the way of logistics to make a tour happen, to route it city to city. So it isn't just some impromptu uh, top of your, off the top of your head uh, whim to go to a particular place it has to be routed on tour. As of now, I'm not touring uh, anywhere. Um, the pandemic has taken its toll quite seriously on the touring business. And even some bands that have managed to get out had to, had to shut it down. So it's been, it's been rough. We're hoping to get out with the Winery Dogs early next year. New Winery Dogs record is being mixed and mastered as we speak. Ah! Which is a very nice. And also a brand new Talus record comes out in September. And uh, it's a uh, bittersweet because our singer, uh, we lost him about a month after the uh, record was completed. He was suffering from several different cancers before as he was singing, but he, man, he sang his ass off and uh, it was so inspiring to all of us around him that he got out to that mic and delivered and the vocals. If you look up uh, crystal clear, that's one song, a new song just got released. And before that, uh, uh, what was the song? Uh, Intermounting flame. He kills on both of those. And he just, it was a wonderful, wonderful guy. So the whole record comes out in September and uh, we're very happy about that because we believe it serves his legacy right because he was a great man and a great singer and now you know people have this uh, memento of him and singing the songs of talus that we never got to do prior to me leaving in 1985 to go 
and join David Lee Ross. So the album is entitled 1985. <laughs> wow. That was a good so year. Cool. It was a good year for uh, heavy rock and metal. So. Awesome. All right. We got Chris Luna out of Hawaii. He says, hey, Billy, at our age now, what are your thoughts on stage volume with amps and monitors as opposed to in-ears? Well, um, my hearing is pretty beat up. I can I can hear pretty well, but it's not not near what it used to be. Uh, the guy who invented in-ear monitors, Stephen Ambrose, is a dear friend of mine. And he, uh, as the years went on, people were using in-ear monitors, but they're turning them up so loud they were doing as much damage or even more damage uh. than regular damage, regular monitor. So he took quite a concern with this that his invention, even though other people have claimed to have invented it and other people make it because they never patented it. He originally made it for Stevie Wonder so that uh, when Stevie goes on television, he put the in-ears in and somebody off stage can give him cues. So he finished with the song. So Stevie, stand up and turn to your left. He stand up and turn to his left to shake the guy's hand. And the guy would always be, how did he, how did he know I was over here? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Mr. Big, I think was the first rock band with in-ear monitors on the Rush tour in uh, 90 or 91. Uh, Erica's having a hard time hearing himself uh, sing. We didn't want him to blow his voice out. So I talked to my friend, Steven. He set up the first, as we know of, the first in-ear monitor set up on a rock stage. Opening for Rush, we had our uh, an FM radio transmitter on the side of the stage with a giant antenna. And our singer wore a, a, a Sony FM Walkman. FM radio. <laughs> So it would transmit on a station, he would pick it up and it would go into the molded ear uh, things that Stephen made by hand for him. And we, it was amazing, Eric could hear himself perfectly, but the guys at Rush would go out on their bus while we were playing and they'd know when the, they'd tune in their FM radio to our station and they could hear it. So that's why they knew when our set was ending, they would come and get dressed and get ready to go on stage. So, wow. So the, the in-ear monitor thing was, I've been very intimate with now, uh, now, Stephen also invented a brand new thing that kind of has this acoustic, for lack of a better word or understanding, acoustic cushion that prevents the eardrum from being beat up. And I believe Brian Johnson from ACDC was done touring because his doctor said, if you go out, you'll never hear again. Stephen got to him, having tried this new kind, and I've seen other people uh, try them as well. Uh, and then Brian decided that he's going to go and tour again with ACDC, just as the pandemic hit, though. But he, he was going to come back because Stephen's new monitors, they can actually, some people that have had severe ear damage, it brings their hearing back, which is pretty Whoa. amazing. So I tried them out when we were in Denver. That's where Stephen lives. And they're a pretty amazing, phenomenal. Uh, they work with the uh, uh, engineers at Vanderbilt. They got a Department of Defense grant. Because the military is a real hard, hard, tough time with people losing their hearing because of uh, munitions and uh, armaments going off. So, uh, but for me personally, I, I'm real careful about it now. I usually plug one ear completely, put one in ear monitor and the other, turn it way down. That way, because you have two in, it's sometimes hard to realize how loud they are. So it's barely whispering and it's just my vocal. And uh, I can hear. Uh, Perfectly well, like that. So, I, but I'm, I'm I'm delicate with it now. No no wedges or side fills blasting me like it was for 
many decades. <laughs> yes, Patrick, we are live right now. So if you have any questions for the amazing Mr. Billy Sheehan, right. drop them there in the chat. You guys also, we are going to watch a couple of Billy's live solo videos with him and talk to him about what was going on at the time, how uh -huh. he does it. Uh -huh. I'm very excited about it. Um, you're hey, quite am I still glitchy, by the way? You're still can you guys glitchy. hear me okay? You're oh, okay. Still yeah, yeah I'm just going to listen then. Okay, that's good. That's fine. We <laughs> Pick another good. question for me, my dear. I got one right here. So our our amazing friend Omar from Mexico says, um, some tips for a solo bass player career, like how to deal with all the stuff by yourself, a soloist bass player. How have you made it through all these years? Well, my tip is, is don't be a solo bass player. There's three things you got to do. Join a band. Join a band with songs. <laughs> Join a band with songs that you sing. And you, Paul McCartney, Sting, Lemmy, Chris Squire, Geddy Lee, Steve Harris, blah, 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 all on, they're all in a band. They're all in a band with songs and all in a band with songs with singing. So that's very important. Eventually, uh, how it worked for me is uh, we all sang in our band back in the early days in Buffalo. Once in a while, the other guys would want to take a break. So I'd do a solo, give them a break. And I could go on for, I'd look up at the clock, uh, 10, uh, 15 minutes, okay, but I stopped. No, I didn't go that long, really. But it was a <laughs> nice break in the show, and it was a thing, uh, just to do a little musical interlude in between songs, and that was it. But to be a solo bassist, it's like being a solo drummer. You just go out and play a drum solo every night? I, said, eh, I don't know. Great, but I don't know if a lot of the general public, who was what your target audience should be, not other musicians, because they always get in free anyway, so that's a <laughs> you can't make a career out of that. But uh, yeah, if you want to learn solo bass, I'm not going to stop you. But the best thing to do is to learn a million songs, be prepared for anything, get up on stage, be able to play. Hey, do you know so and so by Moby Grape? Yeah, go ahead, and you're and you're and you're playing, you know, because you know a million songs. Back in the days, we had a huge song list, hundreds of songs we knew. And uh, at any given time, somebody can yell, call out any song and we know it. And if I don't know it, I can watch the guitar player's hands and see see what chord he's playing and figure out how to fake my way through it. But life as a solo bass player could be a pretty lonely thing because there's not, it's not a, it seems like there is such a thing because we have YouTube now and guys go out there and just play their bass solo, play their bass solo, but it's amazing. I see some of these guys are fantastic, but um, I, this is an old man giving it, uh, the best advice to help you as I can get in a band. There's a thing with a band. I'm reading Ted Templeman's autobiography now. Ted Templeman was a producer who did Van Halen, Doobie Brothers, Van Morrison, a million, one of the most iconic producers in the world. He did Eat Him and Smile. David Lee Roth, he was our producer, worked with me after that a little bit as well. Uh, he, he, he talks about, you know, Getting in, be, he was in a band himself, a, a band that had hits in the 60s. Being in a band is so, so essential. You get this thing together. He's talking about the early days of Van Halen, how they were all buddies and hanging out, and they were all in the same neighborhood pretty much, except for Mike was in Arcadia, a little bit longer drive to get in a hang. And you get a thing together with people you create with. It's an amazing thing. And as you're singing, the audience is singing along. I go out with Mr. Big, and we play to be with you. And I look out and I see 
1,000, 5,000, 10, 20, 30, 50, even 100,000 people. Wow. With tears coming out of their eyes of joy singing along. So, yeah, if you want to do bass solos, God bless you. Good for you. I wish you the best. I'll show you anything I can. Uh, people get the idea that all I do is bass solos because when they come to the show with their iPhone video, the only thing they post is my solo. There was there was two hours of playing that wasn't a bass solo. So, but uh, and I and I, I I hate to even think that I'm ever discouraging any anyone from trying something new or something different because that's what it would be. But to be just a straight up solo bassist, and then you'll hear songs with people like a the delay uh, uh, like a. Misty, the old, old classic uh, standard song, Sinatra, Tony Bennett, everybody sang it. That's cool. And you can play it on bass, like in, you can play many things, but it's on a bass. So it's designed for piano or guitar or something in an upper register. It's like you could take timpanis and probably play a Paganini Caprice on timpani. But how does it sound? <laughs> <laughs> or, or I would play, you know, somewhere over the rainbow, or or uh, uh, Michelle, my bell, da, 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 play all that stuff on bass. It was really cool, all these three note chords and really interesting voices and stuff. But it's more of an oddity than it is something that you would want to sit down and listen to as as a listener. I mean, someone on piano. I'm a big fan of Claude Debussy. And his uh, Claire de Lune oh, is one of the great, oh my God, it's unbelievable. Uh, it's one of the greatest pieces of music ever created. I probably could figure out a way to do it on bass, but it would be, I didn't get the notes right, but it just doesn't sound like it was sound on a piano. And I'm guilty of doing all kinds of things on bass I probably shouldn't do. I, 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 I hereby confess, I'm guilty. But there's a time and a place for everything. There's also to be with you, where I played just what I was supposed to do. There's Lady Night, Ladies Night in Buffalo, where I played what I, what the bass is supposed to do, and, and way more songs than not. Playing with Steve Vai, Steve wrote a song a certain way. He wanted to play it a certain way. That's the way I played it, just because the way he wanted it. Uh, so that, that's that's the that's the role of a bass player. If you can get a little spot where you can do a little thing, cool. But mostly the only reason there will be people there is if you're because you're playing songs and they're enjoying them and they're singing along. Sure. Mm. Yeah. Good advice. Um, all right. Next question comes from Gabriel Walker. Was it your idea to come up with the Yamaha bass where you have three bolts holding the neck in and two going at an angle on all the bases? Almost. My original idea was we've got to make this neck to body joint more stable because the fenders, which I love and are iconic and are all anyone would ever need, never put that bass down. It's what I it's what I grew up on. It's on the wall, right? There she is, right there. It's a nice wall. The uh, original, uh, my original P bass. But with that bass, I can take the neck and push sideways like that, and it will slip, it will move Ooh. very slightly. Not, maybe not now, because I haven't played it for, I mean, played it live for a couple of decades. But I noticed that they would shift in that slot. 
So we had them. I wanted to make it super solid so it wouldn't move. Uh, again, never taking anything away from the most iconic base uh, upon which this is based on. I mean, it's it's very, very, that was very much the ancestor to this. But we did all the extra. The two holes here going at this angle, grab the neck and pull it into the socket. There's three bolts here. And I think, pardon my ignorance, but I believe there's also bolts on the inside on it. There's a tongue. This 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 neck extends underneath this pickup. And so there's bolts going in the inside of it too. So it, it's, it ain't going to move. It doesn't move at all. Uh -huh. you, can, you can't move it. So it was my idea, but the, um, uh, to, to stabilize the neck, but they came up with the, uh, the means to do it. Okay. Very, very cool. Next Hell question. Yeah. Uh, Mike asks, what pedals are you using? I seen a few on your amp at the chameleon years ago with winery dogs. Yeah, for a while I did a pedal board into two Hardcane amps and uh, with the EBS uh, signature distortion pedal that worked out great. It was almost an imitation of my rack, much smaller and easier to travel with. Uh, so we went with that for a while. Then Helix came out and I asked them if they could model my original old Pierce preamp, which is I got all my sound from, from probably since the 70s eight or nine on eat him and smile all the mr big stuff everything was all done with that preamp and they took my personal unit and and modeled that and that's when you buy a helix it's automatically in the software so i use that uh i went to that instead but i can do a show with uh there's a great little um mxr little white compressor i'm looking around to see if i can grab one to show it to you five knob white compressor bass compressor works great it's, it's, uh, really great in the studio too and uh, and my uh uh ebs pedal which splits your signal in two so you get a clean bass tone and a distortion bass tone you can mix together or turn the distortion on or off at your leisure uh which is kind of what the pierce did so uh but right now i'm not using a pedal board per se and i'm using the helix and it's working great it really it's really been fantastic Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Bass Bandicoot, do you have a question you want to ask Billy? I do, actually. Uh, am I right. still glitch too glitchy? No, go or... ahead. You can ask a question. Okay. <laughs> that compressor pedal, are you talking about the MXR? Yes, it's an MXR. I have the same one. I'm looking at it right now. Great pedal. Super. Well, they are solid. great. Uh, it was one of the first five-knob pedal compressors because most pedal compressors have like one knob how much compression do you want a little or a lot yeah but compression right. has a lot of things to it attack release ratio input and output which affect how it works and and i there was a uh, i knew a lot of the guys from jim Dun dunlop back in the day in uh uh la and when they first came out with it they had a bunch of studios asking them to put canon connectors on it because they loved it so much they wanted to oh a bunch of because it was small and light and easy and inexpensive you could put them on every drum so it was it's a it's a great little compressor very yeah. cool so cool. is it is it true that you are a chipmunk farmer <laughs> it would seem because we have a population explosion of chipmunks now for me <laughs> them all so i'm sure what's going to come next is either rattlesnakes or hawks going to come and pick off the excess population so i got to be careful but no, we uh, uh, they're they're. I got them taking the peanut out of my hand now. I sit on a little chair, I'll, I'll in the garage, and I practice. I got my amps in the uh, 
in the uh, garage, turned down very quietly, of course. And I, the, the, you know, there's usually two peanuts in a shell. Sometimes you get three and they're extra long. So I make sure I, I use those because if it's a two nut peanut, then it's a little close <laughs> to my hand. They don't come. But if it's a three nut, I'll take it. And again, this one guy, only one, he'll come right up and take it right out of my hand. We got a lot of, uh, lot of wildlife here. Very cool. Oh, we got Dr. Funk in the house. What's up, oh, Dr. Shit. Funk? How you doing? All right, next question. Patrick Coco, how do you keep your mind sane while practicing when you are around 20 to 30 years old? Um, to me, practicing is a great way to keep your mind sane. Uh, and you can be, there is an art to practice. You can be very creative with your practicing. Uh, some people just say, oh, I'll practice, I'll play, I'll play scales. Okay, now play them backwards. Now do them in every position they are, from the top of the neck to the bottom of the neck. You know, right. and, now, and now do, uh, uh, there's a million ways you can go about practicing. Now practice with just your right hand. Go across your strings like a drummer doing paradiddles and, and two-stroke rolls. Now practice just with your left hand, making sure you can knock down all those. Yeah. As creative on your practicing as any other aspect of any art or music. So um, uh, when you're bored, no offense to this uh, gentleman that's asking me this question, but I got to tell you, being bored is on you. <laughs> uh, and I, I mean that with all respect. Uh, you, I, after over 50, 55, 54, 55 years, I get up, I'm still excited to pick this thing up and go. You know, in the morning, get up, feed the cat, feed the birds, feed the chipmunks, come down here, and I, oh, man, or I'd be driving along and I'd get an idea. And, oh, gee, I got to get home and try this and get pick up the bass and do it. So it's uh, those gates should be as open for you as me or anyone. So um, understand that there, there there's a an unlimited amount of things for you to know and learn and become good at. I I practice things. Uh, I'll sit down and do a thing and my fingers I can't do it. Geez, so, so what do I do? Now I got to put my uh, troubleshooter hat on and uh, figure, well, how am I going to get my fingers to do this thing? There was a lick I started doing just the other day that was this weird thing. It was this. It was. When I first started, I couldn't do it. It was all over the place. I was missing notes, missing strings, flopping around like a like a beached whale. <laughs> I couldn't do it. But I just, God damn it, I'm going to get it. Now I'm I, I'm not warmed up now because I've been talking. That's why whenever I do a, a bass clinic, I talk too much, and then I can't play anymore because so I'm not warmed up. But uh, <laughs> there's the, the dilemma of that. But now I've got all kinds of variations on that. And all all around the neck. Now, since it's a thing that, that is right hand dependent, I can't necessarily go down here because it's kind of I'm off balance. But even that sets the lead up. Why not work on it down here only and get that? And then and then extend it across the neck. So that little 
little thing, which just started out of nowhere, has now come, become a great uh, additional thing to get these blazing high-speed precise bursts of notes, which you may need one or two with an entire career when I go back to the uh, the bass solo. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> but it's nice to have them because, you know, once in a while, and, uh, and you can be done slowly and tastefully in all kinds of ways. But that was just one thing. And there's, like I said, on my iPhone, I got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little ideas. You know, oh, I got an idea. Let me videotape myself doing this one thing. Yeah. Chord change or, or, or something of that nature. It's, it's really unlimited what, what's, what's available to you. And if you run out of um, ideas of what to practice, start learning songs. Learn ACD yeah. back in black, front to back. You can't ever go wrong with that album. Learn uh, uh, if you want to get adventurous, get something more complicated. Or just learn Sgt. Pepper's front to back. Wow. Can't go wrong. I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure. I, I, I have a question. What is your... Did you ever take like lessons and stuff when you were first learning or no, no. none? Okay. Well, we had a, a, my generation, you'd get an instrument, you'd have a record player, you'd play the record and try and figure out what's going on. And you'd say, you know, you know, well, there's a C chord. So C is, let's see, one, two, three, one swing over. There's a C. Okay. And then you'd work it from there. And then the uh, first couple of solos I heard, you know, just chip away at them uh, note for note. Like a my generation. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's right. You know, just piece by piece get it, get it together, and you learn by ear. Now, some people uh, did it the correct way, unlike me, and learned much more about music and theory. But for us, our goal was to get on deck and start playing, not to pass some tests or be able to impress right. some professor or music teacher. We wanted to be up on deck, playing those songs in front of an audience. And that was our goal. So we didn't think much about uh, the modes or the circle of fifths or right. note was what, or flat this or sharp that. Uh, so now later on, that stuff will start to come to you. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with uh, pursuing that that line, as a matter of fact, some great bass player, Jeff Berlin, for example, really oh, yeah. uh, uh, tells people to learn your academic, learn how to read music, not tab, learn how to read music. I wish I did, and but I'm still learning. I'm learning more about it. I'm learning more about how uh, things work within what I know and applying it to music theory. But generally, I'm just an ear player. I never never took any lessons. And uh, it's uh, I found out recently that Buddy Rich, would never want his band to read music. Mm. Learn it. But he said, when they're reading, it's a different feel. And he it like is. It. Yeah. Oh, interesting. He goes, no, huh. no, no. So I thought that was interesting. And so many, many greats couldn't read at all. I, I believe Oscar, oh, hell yeah. Oscar Peterson, one of the greatest pianists ever. And he, he was a big fan of Art Tatum, considered one of the greatest musicians of all time. One yeah. I don't know if Art read, but I, I saw him, footage of him from the 1930s, this gentleman playing piano, smiling into the camera, and he is, there's smoke, smoke coming out the keys. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so I don't know if he read music or not. I, I, I suspect maybe he maybe he didn't. Somebody just wrote Dennis Chambers. Oh, uh, my God. Who's, a, who's my, uh, probably my, the greatest musician I know. 
Dennis, I don't think Dennis reads. He, uh, we, we give him a song. He listened down. Okay. And, and cut it. That is awesome. Uh, very talented. Really. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. We, we did a uh, sunshine. I think you'll appreciate it. There's a fun video. You guys know the channel Drumio for like drummers and stuff. Uh, Dennis Chambers is on one of the uh, episodes and he has, li he listens to a tool song that he's never heard. I think it's schism. And then he okay. just listens once and then they film him playing through it. And it's awesome to watch he, that. He's a monster. He's a huge inspiration to me. I learned so much from him. My whole life was straight up two, four rock bands. And suddenly I got this funkified time thing. And oh man, it was quite awesome. I also did a track one time with Vinnie Caliuta, myself oh. on bass, Vinnie Caliuta on drums, uh, Ingve on guitar, and Doug Pinnock on vocals doing Van Halen's Light Up the Skies. So yeah. It's just me and Vinnie doing bass and drums first. So uh, we're, we're talking, and he says, So what song are we doing? I go, you, you you didn't learn it? He goes, no, I think it was some Van Halen song. I go, yeah, but guys, you know what? He goes, no, I never heard it. They played it for him, and he went in and cut it. Wow. So there are, as I, as I kind of tie this together, the gentleman asking about practicing, uh, you know, there some people are born with incredible natural talent. I'm supremely jealous of them. I was born with nothing. All hmm. I had... Okay. I, I, okay, Billy. I didn't. It was never automatic. I had to work my way through everything. But I'm a good troubleshooter, and so I can figure out if if I'm here. Yeah, they're on here. They're on here somewhere. So there's one. Okay. Nope. Nope. So you can figure it out by ear. But it's that's a troubleshooter way of approaching it's different but uh anyway i i, I digress awesome. very cool all right Sweet. next question from badass yes, good questions. thank you everyone can you tell the story behind the dual output jacks on the wife guitar or yeah that's what i pointed out before oh okay yeah it's called the wife because it was i was inseparable from her for many many years and now uh, i have a real wife and this one hangs on the wall <laughs> But when I got that bass, it was a regular P bass, which had just a regular P bass pickup here. That's it. In that same exact position on the body relative. That's how these Yamahas are made. That's where it is. But prior to me getting my P bass, the music store I bought it from, Art Cubera Music, 910 Fillmore at Sycamore in Buffalo, New York, uh, they let me take a Gibson EBO bass, which is a big, fat, chrome, giant pickup here. Super deep, low end, because it's really close. It's far away from the bridge. The closer you have a pickup to the bridge, the brighter it'll be, the further away, the lower and deeper it will be. So I love the sound of that deep pickup. And uh, on this bass, if I just turn that pickup on, you don't hear any trouble. On the other pickup, all the high end comes out. So I wanted to have that fender tone but I also wanted the Gibson tone. So I wrote to Gibson. I don't remember how the transaction went down, but they sent me their EBO pickup with a wiring harness ready to go. And I didn't know how to wire two pickups to one output. So I just drilled another hole, added a second output huh. and two chords. People say, well, that's stupid. Why did you use a stereo chord? 
but you have to you have to figure in the timeline. Uh, if you're in Elmira, New York at 11 o'clock at night and your stereo cord fails you, do you think you're going to find another one within 100 miles? Probably not. So using two regular cords, and now if I want to just play the P bass, I'll just play the P bass. There it is, one output. Add the EBO, cool. Just play the EBO if I want. That's cool, too. What? You can, you can Sick. Hit with your, with your uh, volume controls if you want. And it gives you the super deep low-end uh, tone of the EBO Gibson bass and the all uh, super useful on more records than anything else ever, the P bass tone as well. Then I started plugging them into separate uh, channels. Then when I got enough money for a second amp, I had one channel, which was the P bass tone, another channel, which was the EBO tone. Then I gradually got wow. the bass tone to have not a lot of low end on it and got all the low from this. So that enabled me to have, even though I was doing some fancy schmancy licks, there's always a low end. There's always an amp doing super deep, loud, low end. Because a lot of times if you take a bass, like if you heard this song, uh, Dance to the Music by Sly and the Family Stone. Oh, when, yeah. He goes, I'm going to add some bottle to make the people. Then. And he goes. What it sounds like actually is super thin and it's a cool tone. I like it. There's no low end to it because when you distort bass, you lose your low end generally. So this 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 pickup is clean, super clean, no distortion at all, and I get all my depth from that. Wow! And I'm not the only one. Uh, Rick and Becker did what's called a Rico Sound. Hey, right. Rick and Becker. A Rico Sound, uh, which which requires a stereo cord, which I I didn't have. Uh, all the Alembic, they were the first uh, generally widely available handmade bases. Stanley Clark, mm -hmm. uh, Brothers John yeah. used them. They all had dual output. Each separate pickup had a separate output into a separate channel. Uh, 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 John Paul Jones in Led Zeppelin, I heard a rumor he took his jazz bass and wired separate output for each pickup. Mel wow. From uh, Grand Funk Railroad did a similar thing. Uh, the bass player from Redbone. Uh, I saw a video of him. He had the big EBO pickup on his P bass like that. The guy who did the uh, intro to Barney Miller, uh, his name was, I can't think of it. Uh, anyway, his bass was in a shop near my house, and, I, and he's got a EBO pickup underneath the pickguard for his P bass. So it wasn't, I wasn't the only one that thought of it by, by a long shot. But it was nice to have those two tones, combine them any way you want, use them singer, single or together. Wow, very so cool. So cool, man. Wow. That's my story, sad but true. This is kind of funny. So before we went live, I saw Billy's uh, wine, and I also asked him if that was a mega pint of wine. <laughs> uh, regular size glass. It's just closer to the camera, you see. Hold <laughs> it oh, back here. See, it's just a tiny little No, it's a really, not that big. We just came back from Chicago, and we had a long day of traveling, so uh, I went there to do a uh, special uh, charity show, and Sammy Hagar played with the circle, and they were kind enough to have me up, and I got to play Rock Candy with Sammy, Jason Bonham, and Vic Johnson, and Michael Anthony came out to sing also, so we had a, we had a wonderful time. Wow. wow. Very cool. Sick. All right, Andy Collins says, Billy, you set such an amazing example for us musicians on how we should not be afraid to share our knowledge with each other. Well, I'm glad because most everything I have comes from somewhere. Uh, there's, uh, 
even even things that uh, maybe maybe I was I don't know but maybe I was the first bass player to like a pinch this pinch harmonics where you, you pitch it. I'm pinching the string, this fingernail, up against my thumb. Wow. And I got the idea from watching Billy Gibbons, because he would do slide the pick off the string, and his thumb would hit the edge, and a harmonic would come ringing out. I got wow. that from Billy Gibbons. I also got hammer-ons from him in 1974, when I watched them play, when they were playing. And I saw him go... <laughs> he he hit the fretboard with his finger and a note came out. We all looked at each other like unbelievable. I went home right away and I tried to try to do it myself. I actually <laughs> worked it out. So uh most everything comes from somewhere. Uh, you'll modify it to some degree. I got a huge long list of people whose shoulders I've tried to stand on. Uh, great players that I've learned so much from, not only bass players, but everything else. So I think it's a good idea to share. Uh, I know some people get get to get a little worried about someone else learning your your stuff. And I do admit once in a while when I see somebody taking somebody, I know that they got directly from something I did. I, that's okay. But, you know, I, I would, you know, kind of maybe maybe mention me sometimes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Because I always try to mention Paul Samuel Smith from the Yardbirds, Tim Bogart, Vanilla Fudge, uh, Chris Squire, John Atwistle, Jocko Stanley, Gray Brown, and a million other musicians of every on every instrument. So I think uh, it's it's a healthy thing to spread what you know around, and it's also good to keep you on your toes. Because if somebody else is doing your shtick now and doing it pretty good, well. You should be a couple of more sticks ahead of your <laughs> your your advancement. So it, it can't it makes it so you can't really rest on your on your laurels, whatever those are. I don't know, but you can't rest on them. Man. You got to keep moving forward and and be, becoming better. Yes, very nice. I have one quick question too. Sure. So with the uh, with like the pinch harmonic with your right hand. Yeah. Had you heard Birdland by uh, Weather Report? Yeah. Point or no? Yeah, that was uh, uh, after the fact. Right. right. I think that was about 78. Something like that. Yeah, 77, 78. Yeah. But I remember. <laughs> I was sure. <laughs> I always tried the notes so it sounded prevalent. God, you're the man. <laughs> but we did uh, we did that in Niacin as a as a song. I love Jocko. And, uh, wow. Uh, problem was when I took, we were doing two shows a night at the Blue Note in Tokyo, and um, my fingernail was coming off because you're, oh. you're against it. So I told the keyboard player, oh, "Go go back for an encore. Don't start Birdland because my, <laughs> my fingernail." So he forgot. I said it. He comes up on stage. Oh, I was in <laughs> agony. So I, I took, pulled my skin from the nail, drops a drop of super glue, squeezed it together. Back in business. For a oh my God! No, you did wow. not. That's true. And I always have a little super glue with me on tour in case something falls apart with my. Oh hand. my God! You are That's too. A good idea. 
All right. Man, that's fucking awesome, dude. <laughs> Next question comes from our um how what would how would I describe Don McDaniels, Randy? Our I would say he's the dad of the base kid. He's like the crazy uncle. The, the crazy kids. uncle. He's the crazy uncle of my group, Sunshine and the Base Kids. If you guys are not a member of Sunshine and the Base Kids, make sure to jump over there after this interview and uh, go join. It's a great place, fun space. So uh, the crazy uncle of the group asks, Billy, did you and Mr. Big start the Barbie doll groupies at his <laughs> pedal board when touring with Rush? Just give me the name of that device again. Uh, did you start the Barbie doll groupies on pet on Alex's pedal board when touring with Rush? I don't recall. That's the first I've ever heard of the term. So probably not. There were so I think there was a bunch of Barbie dolls that were set up on this pedal board. I never recall seeing it. Oh really? Oh, oh. I do know the guys in Rush, and we we. To be with you was ahead, and we went out on the Roll the Bones tour. Also, we did their entire Presto tour, and then we did a, a large portion of Roll the Bones. And I remember Getty saying it's the first time he's seen girls in the first twenty rows at a rush <laughs> because of to be with you. That was hilarious. They were they were incredible people. They were so kind to us and generous to us, and we got up and played, jammed at the end of the night, and uh, uh, in the mood and. Uh, sang and played great great people very nice paul tar says i think i saw mr big and rush in denver in like 1992 i believe at fiddler's green yes you did and i that was that was the show ah yeah. i wish i could have went to a show I, I mean i still have time to go see a show but oh my god i was you, in were you born yet in 1992 were you were you were born oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey. Um, all right. <laughs> Rob says, Billy, you rock. Can you please pass Getty's number along to Sunshine? My other request is do a tour with DLR band. Love you, man. Oh, I wish we could. I wish you could. I had a nice talk with Michael Anthony at the uh, the show I did on Saturday night when I got up and played with those guys. And uh, we, we reminisced about uh, the 1980 tour I did with Van Halen and, and, uh, uh, he's a wonderful guy. He's what a great player, singer, and and just an all around human. But yeah, I'd love to do uh, more with that. I don't think it's in the cards though. I don't think uh, in the past we'd hear from Dave maybe every once in a while that there's some inklings that he might want to do it. But I haven't heard for a long time. So sadly, I'd love to do it. I know Steve and Greg, and uh, sadly we lost Brett, our keyboard player, who was also sang a lot on that tour. Brett and I did the lion's share of the backing, backing vocals for uh, Eat Him a Smile Tour. And he was a wonderful, wonderful guy. He, just a couple of weeks ago, we lost him. But yeah, I'd always love to do it. So whenever we hear from Dave, we're ready to go. <laughs> Very nice. You guys, thank you all for hanging out with me, Bass Bandicoot, Billy Sheehan. We are having the time of our life. There you go. You yeah. have a request. Can you play a little bit for us, Billy? Uh -huh. I'm not sure what to play. I can play it. Name that tune. If anybody can name this tune in the comments section, uh, I'll have to note your name. Write to me, direct message on Facebook or Instagram, and I'll send you a fabulous prize. Okay. Ah! First person to name this tune. Okay, ready? It's from the 70s. Actually, it might have been in the late 60s, but here it is. Ah! 
Nobody got it. Nobody got it. Oh, oh. my goodness. South California Purples by Chicago. Ah. Off the Chicago Transit Authority record. Wow. So. All right. We, we, play, we used to play Stump the Band in L.A. We'd come back after a night at the Rainbow Bar and Grill. Greg Bissonette was particularly good at this. And we had, I'd have all my CDs because that was during that era when I got a five CD changer. We'd put all these collection compilations, the greatest hits things, and we we just randomly select. And the first guy to name the tune would win. I wouldn't win anything, but we just for bragging rights. So we play. And I, I know a lot of I know a lot of songs, but some guys kick my ass. One guy in particular. His name was Steve Martin, not the comedian, but another guy, <laughs> Steve Martin, who worked for uh, for Dave uh, back in the day. And uh, there's a song by Donovan called Mellow Yellow. And it starts out with two hi-hat clicks, or a little more of a And the song starts. The second click of the hi-hat. Yellow, Mellow Yellow Donovan. He got it right away. So we got pretty good at being able to name songs uh, quickly uh, <laughs> uh, over the years. But uh, who else? Uh, well, a couple less questions, you you guys. And uh, well, yeah, but do we, can we do the? Can we watch the video? At least a little piece of the video with you. Okay, and I'll I'll, I'll tell you everything that I did wrong. No, <laughs> no, no, no! I'm really excited about this. Um, okay, how do we do this? Let me see. Share screen, Chrome window, Billy Sheehan, bass solo. Oh my goodness! Okay. I hope it's not the one with the fox tail. <laughs> it is. One. Is this one okay? Sure, go ahead. No, oh, that's I, one of my favorites. This is Mr. Big. Um. Oh my God! I let's just. Can we just talk about how handsome you look here, really oh. quick? You. you <laughs> What's going through your mind when you're <laughs> okay? Okay, you can stop it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh wait, let me see. Stop. Well, it's it, it's uh, I uh, I don't do any drugs at all, and uh, never tried cocaine. But it's definitely a caffeinated moment, and you take the excitement of being on stage, and uh, maybe a cup of black coffee before before I go up, and uh, man. When I see it seated here in a quiet little room, it's frantic. <laughs> it's just, but uh, that fast stuff is, uh, there's nothing I do that anybody else can't do. I'm a firm believer in that. If you take enough time, analyze it, chip away at it, piece by piece, you can do it. So a lot of those, it's just a lot of the... All kinds of fast things like that. And they're... 
just patterns. A lot of it has to do with the right hand articulation. But when I'm playing, I'm I'm not thinking at all. I'm 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 not even I'm there, but I I'm I'm not planning or working it out. And I see a lot of guys who do solos that are mapped out. I I don't even know if I could do that because I I it's it, that's an art in itself. But also, I believe it's an art in itself to just let it fly. Uh, my early years, I, I listened to a lot of jazz, and a lot of jazz stuff was just go, go, man, and see it, see you at the end of the song uh, with with improvisation. So to be improvisational for me required years and years of learning where I was on the neck, what works with what, uh, a million little licks and riffs and moves and combinations and patterns. And eventually, uh, and th uh, hundreds of songs, so you get a melodic sense. And then when you do a solo, it's just kind of just close your eyes and dive into the deep end and see what happens. So I never know what I'm going to do when I do an unaccompanied solo like that. There's parts that I do each night. Like there was one, uh, I, I was like, I, I, so I, Another one we some patterns that I already know that I'll work them in and then I'll do something in front of them behind them. So there there's our little plateaus of sanity where I actually <laughs> have an idea of what I'm doing. But in between it's a Anybody? Yeah, it's all. It's it's kind of JS Bach. I learned a lot of Bach. Somebody just posted that. I learned a lot of the Brandenburg concertos. Uh, and some wild solos in some of those. I learned pieces of some of the solos. A lot of Bach keyboard stuff. A lot of keyboard things because keyboard is kind of an unlimited instrument. So when you adapt it to a fretted instrument where you have you don't have the same amount of range and you don't and uh you have a lot of repeated notes on a piano it's a challenge sometimes to be able to play things i got my octave uh, from watching piano players play an octave with the, the two fingers up and down the next oh, on bass that would be this so I do, I adapted that from them. But uh, uh, so anyway, back to that solo thing. That was San Francisco, uh, 92. We had a, uh, can I tell one story? Yeah, tell all the stories. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> tell all the stories. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, uh, we, uh, as a joke, on a, a, a previous tour, Paul also did an Eraser X. He had a, his singer in Eraser X said, hey, if you if you couldn't play any faster, the only way to play faster is get a drill and put picks on the end of it. So Paul did. It turns out Paul's still faster than the drill. The drill isn't even close to him. Uh, <laughs> he used it in his thing. So uh, Mr. Big, uh, it, that ended Mr. Big uh, happened. So uh, we uh, started using the, Paul started using the drill in his solo. Just as a, and it's a joke, it's comedy. 
So many people took it serious. Oh, who who did it first, Ed Van Halen or Mr. Big? Ed Van Halen had a, and a big controversy and more death threats came from that. <laughs> <laughs> but Ed didn't play with it. He just used the motor noise of the pickup, you know, but Paul, you know, played a little thing. So we thought when we were doing the second album, the uh, Lean Into It album, well, what, we should do the solo with the drill. Oh, yeah, well, let's do it harmony, bass and guitar, drill solo. Okay, so we did it, and it was hilarious, and it was just a funny thing that we did. I stepped on a Taurus bass pedal to hold the bass note while I was doing it so it didn't fall out. And uh, unknown to us, we went off. That album came out, went a long time before anything happened. Put out a single, died. Another single, died. Another single, died. Then out of nowhere, some guy in uh, uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, started playing To Be With You. <laughs> went on more and more and more spread around the country. So now we're still out on tour. Now we got to go back and tour everywhere. We just toured all over again. So it was quite a grueling experience for us, grueling in a good way. And unknown to us, our manager, Herbie, legendary Herbie Herbert, one of the founding fathers of the music business, contacted the Makita Power Tool Company and said to them, we have a band now. It's got a hit single in the charts and they're Mr. Big and they knew us from Japan. They were a Japanese company. He flew them over and said, we'd like to talk with you about doing an endorsement deal with uh, Mr. Bing, because they use the Makita power tools. Okay, so explaining him what, what endorsement deals are, how Michael Jackson's Pepsi endorsement works, how Michael Jordan's Nike, Nike endorsement. Uh, you know, you had to kind of educate them because they were a power tool company. They didn't know about these things. So in the end, he said, I'd like you like to know if you'd like to do a deal uh, to have Mr. Big endorse Makita power tools. Oh my God. <laughs> he said, yes. And Herbie looked at this translator. He goes, are, uh, are they ready? He, he goes, I think they are. So then the Japanese gentleman said, how much? <laughs> and Herbie said, $1 million. Woo! And they said, yes. Whoa. What? Oh, my God. Right. So now we didn't get a million dollars into our pocket, but we got half up front. It's still in my in my. Um, Retirement fund. I didn't touch it. <laughs> Split uh, four ways, of course. Uh, and uh, and then they did tour support for us for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And up the, up the deal again later. So you never know how it's going to go. This was a comedy bit. It was just a joke. But we ended up... Well, that's why I say it because in the background of that solo, you'll see the Makita logo. So they gave oh, us the stage. So we had a whole stage of Makita Power Tool coming out. Oh, my God. Wow. That is One little tail end to the story is at the end of our tour, they said, well, we'll give you the Makita Power Tool catalog and pick something out if you'd like it. So I think, uh, God rest his soul, Pat Torpy got a miter saw because he's going to do some crown molding. Uh, Paul got his dad an electric screwdriver. Eric got something for somebody. And down on the last page was the Makita generator. I said, is it too much to ask? Can I get the generator? <laughs> So months and months and months go by. I didn't see the generator. Finally, I went to this big wooden crate with a Makita generator, and it shows up my house. I couldn't believe That's it. So awesome. I put it in my garage. A few months later, 1994, Northridge quake hits. I'm home. Our neighborhood got rocked. We got smashed. It was like the end of the world. Everything shook and smashed and crashed. All the power is off everywhere. My neighbors in my, in my condo back then. What are we going to do? I go, hey, 
I got a generator in my garage. You're kidding. <laughs> we got a hose, siphon gas out of the car, put in the generator. I swear <laughs> to God, the first pole. We're the only building with lights on, I think, in all of North Hollywood, Sherman Oaks, Studio City. So. Wow, that is awesome. So, that is killer. So, oh, from, from Goofy Guitar Trick. We talked about the 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 solo where Paul got attacked by the drill. John saying he was at the famous Omni show when that happened. So for the people that didn't hear about this story before, could you just give us a brief refresher? Sure, sure. <laughs> Uh, the McKe now when you when you let off the trigger, the drill stops instantly. It's a safety feature. But back in the old days, you let off and it keeps spinning for a while. It goes that's why that sound on the because it goes up to speed and go and then slows down. Now they just go they stop dead. So then we had the old model Makitas. So Paul was um out there doing a solo. He grabbed the the, the drill, held it up. He's playing was go i can't hear you to the crowd but he still had the drill in his hand and it was still spinning he put his it up to his ear and, and hopelessly trapped now he can't let go of the drill because it's stuck in his hair and it's too heavy and so now his guitar is feeding back completely out of control he can't do anything so i'm at the side of stage i ran out of grandpa go behind my amp go behind my and I went out and I started to listen to the solo. Hey, everything's fine, folks. Nothing to see here. <laughs> <laughs> then I heard later what happened when he went behind my amp. A bunch of crew guys were standing there and they had a scissors. And he goes, no, 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 don't cut my hair. What are you doing? He goes, and this is so loud. People are screaming and looking feedback. I'm soloing. It's crazy. He's screaming at him, put it in reverse and pull the trigger. Okay. So they did. And it went, boom. <laughs> Now it's hopelessly stuck in this. They managed to get the bit out, undo it, get it out, come out. He came out, everybody left. But every show, uh, or not every show, but the next show after that, the guys in Rush, when we went on the stage, they left power tools all over the stage right? <laughs> from the crew. They had circular saws and drills. But it was uh, quite, a, uh, quite a moment. Oh my God, you guys, you have been hanging out with me, your host, Sunshine of the Sunshine Show and the great, wonderful, fabulous, most amazing Billy Sheehan of Mr. Big Tallest, Winery Dogs, uh, Niacin, who am I forgetting? Uh, hmm, David Lee Roth. Uh, I forget. <laughs> I think you got him. <laughs> Almost all of them. Um, Steve, Steve Vai, right? You. Oh, yeah, dear old Steve. All, all, all the good ones, all the greats. Uh, I think I'm on a song on Steve's new record because he had pulled a track from years ago where I played uh, a thing, and he re, re, he redid it and kept my bass line on it. So I might be on his new record, which is quite great from what I understand. That is really tell us, tell us. That's right. Tell I think you said tell us. I may have, but it's okay. It's worth repeating twice, you guys. Um, she said something to follow, too. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, guys, for helping us out here. We're going to start wrapping this up. If you have a, a last-minute question, drop it there in the chat. Uh, what's your best piece of advice, uh, Billy, that you can give everybody listening at home? Well, as far as being a musician and music, like I said before, getting a band, getting a band with songs, getting a band with songs you sing. Now, that's the... That, 
to some people that, that might limit their scope. And there's everyone, every musician, every artist out there that might be uh, watching, you, you do whatever you want. You do, you're an artist. You do whatever you want. Uh, doing whatever you want and expecting to become successful financially is a different thing. Uh, that's a different game. But art is art, and art is what you conceive it to be, and you playing the way you want to, whether it's plucking with your fingers, with your thumb, with a pick, with a violin bow, or with a drill. It's all legal. Uh, playing a one-string bass or a thousand-string bass, that's all legal. It's all good. So uh, I, I like to see artists live without the idea of limitation because I think that's what makes the world a better place. When, a, when a somebody invents something, they don't think, well, I, I can't invent anything that's too useful or too amazing, so I'll just invent some little tiny thing. No, they don't. They come up with the greatest thing they can think of, and musicians should do that as well, not that they don't already. I'm, like I said before, I'm reading uh, Ted Templeman's biography, and he produced uh, the Eden Smile record, all the Van Halen stuff, and a, a million other huge hit records and stuff. And it's amazing to hear his take on how – how he works as a producer and guiding artists, uh, keeping them in line, getting out of the way when they're doing great, jumping in when they need his help. And uh, it's an interesting role of a producer. Uh, and it, it helps a musician when you read that to know that it, it sometimes maybe look outside yourself for some advice or another point of view, but it's not really always necessary. You know, sometimes you can. And it's amazing. And he just pointed out that uh, a lot of guys with incredible abilities are, are are not all that confident about themselves. And they don't necessarily think they're hot stuff. Ooh. And he's talking about Ed Van Hill. And I just read the uh, God Rest His Soul. Ed was a, such a huge influence and what a wonderful guy. But he's talking about the first recordings they did the very first time in in L.A. for the first record. And Ed would get done, got done with that eruption thing. And he he wanted to do it again. He didn't think it was good. He didn't, you know, he wasn't sure. He, no, Ted, let me do it again. <laughs> and so it shows you sometimes. So if you're in that position sometime, and you may not think what you're doing is that good, uh, I, I think it's always good to let the audience decide. But also know that a lot of people aren't always absolutely confident in every move they make. It can be a little precarious. And Sunshine, I know you're a musician, so you know that. Sometimes you're, you, 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 know, you can't always think that what you're doing is fabulous because uh, it's, it's good to keep yourself uh, balanced, I believe. But, but mm -hmm. also know that there's, there's nothing that you can't do and nothing is impossible. Oh, Hell yeah. I love that so much. Um, all right. Last question. And we're going to call it a night, you guys. I've had such a good time. Thank you, everybody, for listening on the podcast, everybody watching at home. You could be anywhere in the world right now, and you're here with us, and it means the absolute world to me. Um, My pleasure. We had a great time last time, and uh, we'll probably have a great time when we do it again sometime. You just let me know. Oh, yes, we are. Yes, you are. And I'm now your personal bodyguard. So come on. Okay. So you got to shadow me when I go through the crowd there. <laughs> we got David no, for the, no further questions. We got David Pistorius in the chat. What's up, David? He says, what's up, oh, Billy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The roof. That was my dad's <laughs> answer, dad joke. Huh? <laughs> All right, guys. Last question. You know what it is. If you could throw a dinner party for any five musicians, dead or alive, who would those musicians be? And what would you serve at your dinner party, Billy? Wow. 
Well, uh, mm-hmm. Paco de Lucia was an amazing flamenco guitarist I love. Uh, I have the great, great fortune of playing with a lot of people that I held in high, high esteem through the years. Uh, so I'm glad about that. But my first concert was Jimi Hendrix. I would like to possibly uh, wow. deal with that. Uh, Buddy Rich, gone, but amazing. Uh, uh, a lot of people. Uh, too many to list. <laughs> five, just five. Hendrix, Buddy Rich, Paco de Lucia. I'll revisit Ed because he's just just a what a wonderful, incredible man. And of course, how could I possibly leave out Mr. Pat Torpy? I would have to wow. rejoin him as well. And what are uh, you serving at your dinner party? Uh, I'm going to do a uh, my pork my my uh, pork chops, which I do uh, pan fried in cast iron in uh, bacon grease, and then mm-hmm. another pan I take uh, butter. Diced Granny Smith apples, uh, cinnamon, nutmeg, and a dash of clove, and maple syrup. And I put it all down into this gelatinous mass of deliciosity and pour that over the pork chops. Oh, my. Okay, Winston, Uh cover your ears outside. All right, my pig's Uh out there, Billy. Come on now. I'm (laughs) hungry. I'm really hungry after that. Good way to go. We, time we were going to make pork chops, we didn't have any applesauce. I said, there's probably a way I can make some kind of applesauce. So I diced them up, put them in, bang, we had. Nice. Wow. All right. Awesome. Cooking, cooking and music are very similar. You just kind of got to use what you got and you get smart and you can figure it out. You oh, got yeah. heat, you got uh, steam, you got uh, a pan, we'll figure something out. You got <laughs> to make it spicy. Really. That's true. That's just, true. Like, just like you, you're a spicy fajita. <laughs> I'll try to live up to that. All right, guys. Is there anything um, else you'd like to say before we get going, Billy? Uh, no, just thank you again for having me. Uh, stay in touch and uh, let me know when you need me again. Uh, Talos Record comes out in September. Winery Dogs comes out end of this year or early next year. Next year will be Winery Dogs Tour. Mm. Uh, we're hoping to do some Talos shows. We have to find a singer. Uh, we're hoping for that, but uh, we'll see about that. But that, like I said, that record comes out in September. And in the meantime, I'm practicing my ass off and trying to trying to get better. So the next time you see me, I'll have a couple a couple new moves. Oh my god! So good, man. Thank All you right. so much for the amazing advice and everything. Too. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone that tuned in. All right. So until next time, you guys, uh, make sure to keep a smile on your face. Be kind. You never know the battles that the people around you are facing. And be safe. It's a dangerous world out there. I love all of you so much. On three, let's say bye, everybody. One, two, three. Arrivederci.